All right, guys, thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Hey, just a couple things before we get into the uh, word today, because I am excited to do something that is honoring to those of you that have served our country as veterans or active duty personnel. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. Before you deal, let me just say, the Bible talks a lot about honor. It's a big deal. We're to honor one another. We're honor to uh, give honor to those who honor is due. And it's one of those ways where we say, well, we appreciate your sacrifice, your selfless service. And what we experience, we forget this, that this isn't just, you know, tomorrow's not just a Monday holiday. But uh, after World War I is when this really got started. And it was a, the Great War. It was horrible. Millions of people died. And uh, to honor, I think it was Woodrow Wilson, to honor those that served, they started this. Then Eisenhower made it a national holiday uh, back in 1954, 55, I think, long before I was born. But that was a joke. But anyhow, what I want to do today is I want us to just take a moment to honor the men and women who have selflessly served and sacrificed so much and made this country what is. Would you just stand so we can honor you? Just stand up. Wherever you're at, veterans, active duty. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Means a lot to us to be able to do that, so thank you for letting us honor you. Uh, one other thing I want to mention this little family business. In the bulletin today, if it didn't fall out, I saw some of them did. There's an envelope, a little white envelope. Some of them say Christmas offering, others say the gift. Uh, we have done this every year from the very beginning of East Point. And here's what the idea is behind the gift. Let me explain it. It's your opportunity to give above and beyond your regular uh, monthly or weekly giving to something special. And I emphasize, we ask you to do above and beyond. Don't rob from Peter to pay Paul. Don't say, well, I normally give this to East Point. I'll just give it to the gift this year. We really ask you to pray about. There's no arm twisting around here. If you spend any length of time around East Point, you know we don't do this. We don't twist arms. We don't guilt people into anything. But we're going to ask you to pray and obey. Ask Jesus what he wants you to do. What are we going to do with the gift this year? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, last year, we raised about $80,000 that we used to uh, get the Auditorium 2, which is where our followers church has been meeting all year, up and running. You think that's a lot of money, actually went by pretty quickly. Uh, equipment, sound equipment, everything that we did there uh, to make the improvements is quite costly nowadays. But we did that to get them started. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, come see me, I'll explain. But we actually have three churches that meet in this building. There's East Point here at 911. There, yes, it is 9-11. And then, uh, just seen half the people came in late this morning. What's going on uh, at the 9 o'clock? Anyhow, then we have Followers Church, which means concurrently with us. And that's Matt King and that church that started. And we tried something different, a church within a church for a season. And they have, you need to know this, they're doing really, really well. Uh, I didn't get to attend for a variety of reasons, but I watched Matt's Vision Night message online this last week. They are doing exceptionally well. About 230, give or take, people showing up. That's double what's normal for a church in their first year. Uh, they're seeing lots of people in, engaged, involved, small groups, serving. It's incredible what the Lord is doing there. And it's been fantastic having them here. And by the way, the third church that meets in that auditorium is our Hispanic church that meets at 1.30 uh, every uh, Sunday afternoon. And they're growing and doing great as well. So what we want to do is we want to uh, raise the gift this year to launch Followers Church into their own facility or into a, a more um, permanent place off campus, away from here. We believe in church planting. Uh, I believe in it because we're a church plant. Uh, Life Center, we came out of them 15, 16 years ago. And Life Center uh, get, get graciously gave us back, back then, 15 years ago, it was like $160,000, which would be equivalent to even more than that now to help us get launched. And in this, our history here, 
and 16 years at East Point. I'm not tooting my own horn. What I'm saying is you guys have made this happen. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know the Lord. In the last three weeks, we've had over 25 new believers packets picked up right here. You guys have made that possible. We've had over 1,000 people baptized in water in our history over the last uh, 16 years. That's because this church got planted and because church plants work. Followers Church is a church plant that started here that needs to move. They want to move. We're not kicking them out. It's good for them to take the next step to move on to their next location. And to make that possible, we need to raise a lot of cash, about $150,000. You think that's a lot of money? Trust me, it's not. Not to get a church started. Ask any businessman to get a business going, and everything that's involved in that is, is a big endeavor. So what I'm asking you to do is pray and obey. Ask the Lord what you can give above and beyond your regular giving to help us get Followers Church launched in 2019. We don't really have a set date. We're just raising money. And when we have it, we have a spot, we're going to do that. The other thing you need to know is when I talk about Followers Church, they are us. It's not us and them. They are us. It's a part. We're, the, we're mama and daddy to them. So it's time for mama and daddy to help uh, bless these guys. And, and one last thing I'll mention, then I'll get into the word this morning. We're going to take 10% right off the top, and this is what they want to do as well, and give that to UGM, to Union Gospel Mission. So if we raise $150,000, we are going to get $15,000. Oh, yeah. And on that note, just because I don't know if I've updated you, if you've heard that we raised a couple months ago $5,000 to, to support the bicycle program that's happened at UGM. In fact, it was so much money that we're, we, we were able to expand, expand it to the uh, Anna Ogden Hall for the women's shelter as well. So thank you guys. You've been awesome. Yeah, it's been, it's really been fun to see what God has done. And I'm just going to ask you, uh, last thing, pray and obey. That's it. Pray and obey. Ask Jesus what he wants you to do. All right. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 today. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open up your Bible app, get there. We're talking about how to have hope in the face of fear. How to have hope in the face of fear. Now, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, uh, and I won't, but I would imagine that every one of you at some point in your life has had traumatic fear. Something that you really faced that scared you twice in the last three days. I'm not making this up. I almost T-boned somebody because two people pulled out in front of me. And if you were one of them, I've already forgiven you. And they were big SUVs, and I'm in a little car, and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm twice, I'm slamming the brakes. I would have, within inches of one and feet of the other, a T-boning. You should see their look as you pull up to the side of their car. But, you know, that's a terrifying experience. I can scare you a lot when things, and you've all been there. But we live in a culture right now, in a, in a, in a planet where there's horrible things happening all the time. In fact, so often, my biggest concern is that we're going to grow numb to the terror all around us, and we'll just get, we'll get hard to it. This last week, as you know, I'm sure you all know, you've watched the news. In Thousand Oaks, there was another shooting at a country western bar down there. And uh, you need to know this, that it was personal for me. My nephew, who's a, a Ventura County Sheriff, he, that is his area. He would, if he would have been on duty that day, he would have been the guy that showed up and would have been the guy that got shot. And it's a pretty big deal when you realize 24 hours difference. Either way, it would have been my nephew that walked in. It was his friend that got shot and killed. His friend, Ventura County Sheriff, shot and killed that day. Now, try to explain that to his kids. He's got little children, my great nieces and great nephews. How do you explain that to the fact that, yeah, daddy is at risk every day? And yeah, it, I know if it had been one day different, it would have been me. And yeah, daddy's friend is no longer with us. It creates fear. On top of that, Thousand Oaks, I also have uh, in-laws, my uh, brother and sister-in-law and my niece and nephew live in Thousand Oaks. 
And I posted some pictures this week on Instagram of my nephew who took a picture. The fire in Thousand Oaks came within 200 feet of their home. Not 200 yards, 200 feet of their home on T.O., Thousand Oaks. And they're out there with a hose trying to hose the house and the water and trying to keep things from burning. And just down the street from their house, I've been there. I stayed at their house when I go down there. One of the houses I've walked by dozens of times burned to the ground. Another one up the street burned to the ground. And what that does to people is it creates fear. And there's this terror that we have in our culture. Well, what if it's me? What if somebody walks in some place and starts shooting? What 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 I do? What would that look like? And we have a culture right now that is motivated and driven all too often by fear. What it does is it, it it shuts us down. It numbs our heart so that we stop thinking and feeling. We get very self-protective. We get very, you know, I love one of the stories in the Country Western Bar was the guy who stood in front of somebody, actually took the shot so someone else behind them wouldn't. I mean, that's, that's a hero in my book. But so often we, we face these situations in our life. What do we do? How do we deal with fear and the reality of it? What do we do in the face of fear? Well, here's today's big idea. It's in the back side of your bulletin. If you want to take notes this morning, I would encourage you to do so. The big idea, we must push through our fears if we are to experience the life of hope and adventure God has for us. We must push through our fears. We've got to not let them hold us back, not let them constrain us, constrict us, not let them keep us cowering in the dark somewhere in fear. We've got to push through them if we're to experience the life that God wants for you and, in fact, the adventure. See, when we start getting afraid, the last thing we want is the A word. Don't talk to me about adventure. I'm not going to step out and take any risks for the kingdom. I'm not going to take any risks for God because that's where people get hurt. That's where bad things happen. And we live in this fearful culture that right now that I, I'm, I'm deeply concerned that it's smothering the hope and the fear of many. Now, before I read um, Numbers, I'm actually going to read the first nine verse, uh, verses of Numbers 14. If you knew the Bible, it's the fourth book of the Bible, Exodus, I mean, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But uh, we'll get there in just a minute. But let me, let me give you a little background. The children of Israel for 400 years, that's a long, long time, had been slaves in Egypt, slaves under Pharaoh. And they were in bondage, and it was horrible. Just terrible existence for them. God comes to Moses, and he says, Mo, set my people free. And you've at least seen the movie, right? Charlton Heston or somebody. So Moses, you know, has some arguments with God, finally goes to Pharaoh, and, you know, set my people free. And Pharaoh says, you're kidding me, right? And yeah, no way. And then 10 plagues later, what happens? They let him go. And they, in fact, send him out with gold and wealth, and, and they're, they're off. And then... At some point, Pharaoh says, what am I doing? Get those guys back. He sends his army after them, and the entire army, Pharaoh's army, is, is drowned in the Red Sea. I mean, it's quite a story. So what you need to see is all of these incredible things have happened. A people were set free from slavery. They have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Now they're literally on the threshold. They're about to enter into the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham to give it to them. It's their inheritance from God. And they're on that break, about to enter in the promised land. And Moses, here's from the Lord. I want you to send 12 spies in, one from each of the ancestral tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. Send 12 spies into the land to check it out and to come back and report. So Moses selects these guys, sends them in. They go in and they check out the land. And what do they find? Numbers 13, I'm paraphrasing. They find big giants, big cities, fortified walls. But they also find that the land is flowing with milk and honey, which is just a nice way of saying it was productive and fruitful. It was amazing. But they, found, they, found, they came back with a report with their Amorites and Hittites and Canaanites and all these otherites and these giants in the land and huge fortified cities like Jericho. And they said, man, 10 of the 12 guys said, we're in deep doo-doo. This is not good. 
this is bad. We're in, we're, this, is, this is horrible. And they begin to spread a bad report. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, nope, we can do this with the Lord. But let's pick it up in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. That night all the people, so they just got the report from the spies. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Can you believe they said that? Wouldn't it be better if we just went back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And they wanted to stone, kill Aaron and Moses. Thank you very much. Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell down, face down in the front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the two spies who said, we can do this, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. It's a sign of, of grief and, and, and passion and like, no. And said to the entire Israelite assembly, the, Lord, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, we will lead, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Verse 9 of chapter 14. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. We're going to kick their booty. That's the Bubna paraphrase version. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. What do you do when fear is in your face? When giants are in the land? When fortified walls seem to be keeping you out of what God has promised to you? Two of the spies said, we can do this with the Lord. Ten said, no way. And they created fear in the hearts of their countrymen. You see, fear is like this vice grip. I want to give you some visual images, and I'm, I'm going to cut to Jared in just a second and show you a video, something I want you to watch, of something that's taken place that, that will help you remember this. But fear is like this vice grip on our minds. It puts us into this, this horrible place of anguish. Ever talked about nuts in your stomach? You know, that, that terrible feeling that your heart's just being squeezed and the life is being squeezed out of you. Fear wounds your soul. It crushes your soul. And to illustrate that again, I want to watch something that will help us understand that better. Uh, my friend Jared Park is going to show us some things. Let's look at this. Science time with Jared. Science time with Jared. Make a Bible stuff. Make a lot more sense. Science time with Jared. Oh, yeah. Hey, Kurt. I'm out here in the lobby right now um, running a little bit of a science experiment. As you can see, I've taken over the coffee station. I uh, got this pile of rubber bands. got this watermelon. I'm going to be putting putting these over the center of this thing and trying to see how many it takes to explode the watermelon in a dramatic fashion. So I'm going to get started here and uh, you can check back with me in a little bit and kind of see where I am. All right, we'll check back with Jerry. See how it's going. He's live in the lobby. <laughs> Anyhow, um, this is the point in this, and it really is our point here, is that that's what fear does, does to us. It constricts our thinking. You know, you go back to the book of Numbers. God had performed amazing miracles. I mean, amazing miracles to deliver Israel from Pharaoh. Without question, he was with them, and he was faithful and trustworthy. And they, again, like I said, they're literally on the threshold of the promised land. But they had to trust God if they were to move forward. They had to trust in him. But fear crippled them and cost them everything. It cost that entire generation. The estimates are it could have been as many as a million people. And 
as you probably know the story, if you don't, let me just tell you, for 40 years they wandered in the desert until every one of that generation died. God did not let them possess the promised land because they didn't have faith. They ended up saying, we can't do this. They only saw the giants in the land and they lost hope because of it. They lost hope and they lived in fear and it cost them everything. How do you face and push through fears? Number one, your outline, here's the first thing. See the opportunities beyond the fear threshold. See the opportunities beyond the fear threshold. What do I mean by that? I mean, if we're going to walk in faith, we're gonna walk in hope, if we're gonna experience what God wants us to experience, then one of the things that has to happen is we have to look beyond the thing that's in our face. We have to look beyond the struggles and we have to see the opportunities that are on the other side. Fear threshold is this, like it's a barrier, like a door. And we have to open that door and we have to step through it if we're going to experience what God has for us. For us to get where we've got to go, where God wants us to go, we've got to see the opportunities that are out there. Ten spies said, nope, no way, can't do it. Two said, we can. The mission, the spies, what they were given was to go, basically, military reconnaissance and survey the land. That's what Moses told them to do. Moses did not say, well, go check things out and let us know if we can beat these guys. I'm so worried. Please come back and let me know that we, can, we have a prayer and, and Hades of beating these guys. Please, please, please. That's not what he told them. That's not what he asked. He said, go in and check it out and come back and give a report. Ten of the twelve spies only saw giants. In fact, verse 31 again says this. It's the land of our dreams, but we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. It's the land of our dreams. It's incredible but we can't get there from here because of the giants and the lamb. Here's a lesson. Here's the application for you and me. When faced with overwhelming odds, and you have been there or you will be there, when faced with overwhelming odds, we've got to see the opportunities beyond the problems and push through the fear barriers. Every great man or woman of God, in fact, literally every great man or woman on the planet in history that's experienced anything powerful, that's done anything good, has made any impact on history, has done exactly this. They have not let fear stop them. They've not let fear hold them back. They've pressed through the fear barriers. Too often I hear from people, I know God has a plan for my life, but I know, I know God would, you know, would really do some amazing things and wants to, but I know what it would be like in my life if I was sold out to Jesus, but... We have all these excuses. We excuse ourselves from following God because of fear. Fear of looking stupid. Fear of making a mistake. Fear of failure. There's a thousand different fears we have, and all of them hold us back from experiencing the life and the adventure that God wants for us, for you. Thomas Edison, you know, most of you know this. He, if you don't, I'll inform you, he created the light bulb. And he, he, he we, we, to this day, still are the recipients of that invention. Did you know that he failed, or at least that's what many said, many, many times in trying to create the light bulb? But when asked about it, Thomas Edison said, nope, I have not failed. Here's the quote. I have not failed 10,000 times. I have not failed once. I have succeeded in proving 10,000 ways that it doesn't work. <laughs> Love that. That's the guy who says, nope, I'm going to keep stepping through the fear barrier. I'm going to keep stepping through the threshold. I see the opportunity. I know that a light bulb will change the world. I know it will change the course of history. And he wouldn't give up. He just kept going at it and going at it until he did. Caleb and Joshua saw the challenges. They didn't live in, you know, in a different realm, the other 10 guys. They all saw the challenges. Caleb and Joshua saw the giants. They saw the fortified cities. But they saw the opportunity. They saw what could happen. They did not deny the reality of what they faced. 
but they saw a bigger reality. Their hope was in the Lord. They said, if the Lord is with us, we can do this. Here's the second point. Number two, how do you face and push through your fear and walk in hope? Number two, overcome despair and hopelessness by believing that God is bigger than your circumstances. By believing that God is bigger than whatever it is you're facing. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 8.31, if God is with us, who can be against us? And I'm gonna read later on at this talk a passage where Paul talks about all the things he had to face. When he said, you know, who can be against us, he had a lot of people against him. And a lot of horrific things happened to him. But here was his attitude. Here's where he landed. If God is with us, if God is with me, then, then who could be against us? And that's exactly what Caleb and Joshua said. How do you handle the fearful stuff in your life? How do you handle those things? How do you deal with the challenges that can rob you of your hope? You not only need to see the opportunities that lie beyond the fear threshold, threshold but you need to see a God who's bigger and greater than any obstacle you face. Can I just be honest and real? Let's just own this. Our view of God is too small. Some of us, we, we have a puny little God. And we don't realize how great and awesome and amazing and powerful he is. And fear cripples us. It cripples us. Faith empowers us, but fear cripples us. And I want to encourage you to be a man or a woman of faith who presses through and who sees what can happen and who sees that God is with you every step along the way. I'll tell you a true story. Back a few years ago, I was in Israel, my first trip there. In fact, I haven't been back yet, but I will go back. Jim's going soon, a little jealous. But um, there's this thing called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now, the story is that Hezekiah, who was the king, uh, built this underneath the city to bring water. There, there was a Syrian assault against the city, and so the city was walled off, and they needed water. So he built this tunnel, 1,750 feet long, basically through rock. It's an amazing feat uh, to bring water to the city. And it's still there today, and water still flows through this tunnel. Sometimes it's ankle deep, sometimes it's above your knees, but uh, it's still there. And it's a tourist attraction, as you can imagine. So I'm there, and I decide I'm going to go and visit Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now, little insight. I'm slightly claustrophobic. And I have issues with being in closed places when I can't see things, especially. So I'm thinking, well, you know, how bad can it be? It's a tunnel, and it's you know, 1,750 feet, you know. I, I'll be fine. Well, I went on a Thursday, and it was like, felt like 10,000 high school kids, junior high kids everywhere, because it was a field trip. I thought, oh, I'll go back the next day. So I went back about 2 o'clock on Friday. Now, the Jewish Sabbath is from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so they start basically Friday afternoon there is like Friday afternoon here. Hardly anything gets done. They started to, you know, and so I'm there and there's nobody. I mean, literally nobody there. No lines. So I went and paid my 20 shekels, got my ticket, and I go to the entrance and you got to walk down. You walk down. It feels like thousands of steps. I'm exaggerating, but it feels like it. Down and down. Now, on my way down these steps to the entrance to Hezekiah's Tunnel, here's what's going through my mind. Hmm. There's, there's the potential, always is in Israel, that somebody could drop a bomb on this city and I'm going to get buried under here and nobody will know. Now, is that a rational fear? Probably not. But it's, I'm thinking these things. Now, what happened? I could be down here and nobody would know. And I'm thinking, you know, you, you, they tell you that there's lights on the steps. Of course, th there, there are. But you get in the tunnel, there's no power because it's water and everything. And, and it's pitch black. So they say, bring your own light. So I had this tiny little pin light that I had carried on the plane with me, and that's all I had. And I'm walking down these steps, and I'm thinking, what if I drop my pen light? 
isn't it funny how your mind goes through all these things? And I'm, I'm thinking all the worst case scenarios. I'm a man of faith. Not. Thinking about all the stuff that could happen to me. And, I, and then I get down there and I'm thinking, you know, what if I get lost? It's a tunnel. You go one way or the other. That's it. But I'm, I, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I get to the bottom and I look and there's a hole. And you kind of have to duck down and get inside this thing. And immediately you feel the water and it's kind of refreshing. And you look down with my little pin light, I see like two feet. And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, I'm here, I might as well go. There's nobody else around. Nobody ahead of me, nobody behind me, not a soul. So I start walking. And I go about 10, 15, 20 feet in this, this tunnel. And the further I go, the more terrified I get. And I will admit to you, without too much shame or embarrassment, that I had a panic attack. I only had two in my life. One was in the Antidotus chair three hours in, and the other one was, you know, in this tunnel. And I mean, I couldn't breathe. I feel like the tunnel's coming in on me, and I'm all these things. I'm imagining there's critters and animals and leeches sucking the blood out of my body. And I mean, I, I had this panic attack. And so, I mean, I'm 20 feet in this thing, and I turn around, and I bolt for the light, looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm running through this tunnel as fast as I can. And I bust out of the hole at the bottom of this thing just in time to see four people, two couples, and they happen to be American couples, just about to enter the, tu the tunnel. The lady in the back, she already looked a little terrified, and when she saw me, she said, there ain't no way you're blank, 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 that I'm going down that tunnel. She cut loose. I mean, I tell you, a Marine sergeant would have been proud of her. She just ripped one. And so I, 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 I was like, I'm sorry, get out of my way. And, and there's an exit door right there so you can get outdoors. It's, that's perfectly designed. So I'm outside breathing. Oh, 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 there's Jesus. Thank you. What was I thinking? But then I realized, here's the point. I missed an incredible experience because I was afraid. Don't ask me if I'm going back. <laughs> yes, I hope to. But I missed an incredible experience because of fear. So often we let fear cripple us. Fear cripples faith and powers. Write it down. Fear cripples us. It holds us back. It causes us to not experience what God wants for us. And faith and power, faith believing that God is with us. Sometimes we just go belly up in fear. We're like a fish. We're just kind of floating there waiting to die. And that's not what God wants for you. I mean, that's not the way he wants us to live. Numbers 14, well, let me read to you again. Here was the response, the Israelites. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Let's pick a new leader and go back to Egypt. Can you believe that that's what they wanted? Let's go back. Why? Because they were afraid. Ever noticed how it's easy for fear to get spread so quickly and faith doesn't spread that fast? But rather than get sucked into a black hole and go back to a terrible bondage that they they'd experienced, and rather than you go back to what you, God wants you to move forward, step through, see the opportunity, and remember that he is with you. Why would we want to go back? I found a lot about that as I read this story. And part, I think, is because the old is familiar. Because it, even though it was horrible and they were enslaved, at least it was something they knew. But the problem is that fear cost us. Listen to me. Fear will cost you. It will control you. It will rob you of your destiny, and it crushes your hope. Let's check back in on Jared. See how he's going. So the watermelon is definitely starting to yield under the, the pressure. You can see the shape, it's kind of bulging on the top and the bottom. Um, so again, just a lot, of, a lot of potential energy that's stored up and the watermelon rind's only gonna be able to take so much. As you can see, it's already starting to, to give way and there's a little bit of uh, liquid coming out. So I think it's, it's well on its way. 
to uh, to crushing it. On its way to crushing it. First service, some kid got up and ran out to the lobby. He's not there. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. But that picture, that's exactly what fear does. It just keeps wrapping itself around our soul, wrapping itself around our mind, wrapping itself around our hearts. And the more fear we let stay there, the more, the longer it stays, the more we let it just wrap itself around us, the tighter and tighter it gets, and the harder and harder it gets to actually not be in hopelessness and in despair. We feel hopeless and afraid when we fix our eyes on the circumstances, the fear, the problems, the giants, the walls, rather than on the Lord. And here's, I need you to hear me say this. Please listen. I get it that sometimes fear is legit. Sometimes, you know, the, the circumstances are really terrible. Sometimes there are rational fears. When I go backpacking in the glacier, uh, a rational fear of grizzlies, especially when I see a fresh pile of scat, is a good fear. So I start yelling, oh, bear, oh, bear, bear, bear. Stay away from me, bear. Don't eat me, bear. That's a rational fear. An irrational fear, though, is when you allow something that really doesn't need to be something that constricts you and holds you back, consume and control you. And what happens is we get fixed on the fear rather than remembering that we are not alone. We get fixated on those things, on the stuff that we can't control. And when we do that, we're doomed and we're in trouble. And we're destined for the blues every stinking time. My friend, uh, Jennifer Dukes, author of Love Idol, good book, she said this, fear has a way of carrying God-planted dreams into dark corners while the accuser hisses a single debilitating word. Coward. Fear has a way of carrying God-planted dreams that he has put in your soul, and he has, into dark corners while the accuser, the enemy, Satan, hisses a single debilitating word. Coward. And we've all heard that voice. We've all heard that voice of the enemy, that tries to get us to focus on our circumstances and to put fear and faithlessness and hopelessness in our heart. And that's why I love Romans 8.31 again. If God is with us, who could be against us? If God is with you, who could be against you? We have to see the fear threshold, press through it, look at the opportunity on the other side, and then remember as we step through that, we are not stepping through that barrier alone. We are not stepping through that, that threshold all on our own. The Lord of heaven and earth is with us. God is with us. See, if we let fear continue to wrap itself around our heart, our mind, our soul, that never, listen to me, guys, that never, ever ends well. And that's why this is a big deal. Well, let's go to Jared one more time. A lot of watermelon juice, and it looks like it just happened. Not where I would have expected it to, to, to split. But there it is, that's how many, that's how many rubber bands it takes to, to split the watermelon. And all that's left is pieces of watermelon and a big ball of rubber bands. All right, that's all for now, back to you. Science time with Jerry, science time with Jerry. Make a Bible stuff, make a lot more sense. Science time with Jared, oh yeah. Science time with Jared, oh yeah. But guys, what a vivid picture. Do you want to end up a mess? Do you want to end up destroyed in a pile of goo? I don't think anybody says, yeah, that's my life's dream is to have my soul exploded by, by fear. But that's what happens all too often when we don't remember, when we let fear control us. I want to read one last passage to you. I found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
The Apostle Paul, I said I would read to you about his experience. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He's talking about this life, this relationship, this, the power of God that dwells in, and this is amazing, jars of clay. Very breakable, very fragile, jars of clay. And he goes on, he says, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And verse 17, I love this. He says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It blows my mind when Paul says our light and momentary troubles. Do you know what kind of light and momentary troubles this guy faced? Things like being shipwrecked, beaten with a, with, with a, a cat of nine tails, stripped of the bone on his back. They tried to stone him and kill him with rocks. Ever had somebody throw a pebble at you? Imagine having rocks thrown at you. This guy experienced more hardship than most of us will in a lifetime. And he says, for our light <laughs> and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How did he do that? Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron, what do they see? They, did, they didn't deny the giants of the fortified cities, but what they saw was the unseen, that the Lord was with them every step along the way. The key to dealing with despair, the secret to not losing heart in your life, no matter what you're facing right now, is that you believe God is bigger than your circumstances and that he loves to demonstrate his all-surpassing power through weak, fragile jars of clay just like you and me. We have to see not what is seen, but what is unseen. And fix our eyes not on what we feel or what we know, but what, what we trust in the Lord, that he is always, always, always with us to the very end. And our confidence then is in something eternal, that God is standing right there with us every step along the way. Caleb and Joshua believed the Lord was greater than the obstacles and the challenges that they were faced. That's why they said in Numbers 14, 9, do not be afraid of the people of the Lamb because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Here's the truth I want you to remember today. Obstacles will look large or small to you according to whether your view of God is large or small. I'll say it again. The challenges, the circumstances, the obstacles that you're facing will look large or small to you entirely based on your view of God. How big is your God? I know it might seem easier to return to Egypt, that's what they thought. I know it might seem easier just to stay put, stay in safe harbor, but I love what John Shedd said. Once said, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. God has an adventure for you. He has a life for you. A life that will be far from easy, but a life of incredible adventure and hope. Our part is to step beyond the fear barrier and to trust that he is always with us. By right, so let me pray for you. In fact, I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute because I want to offer some privacy to people. Maybe you're here today and you're facing a giant. Not a physical, literal one, but a giant in your finances. A giant in your relationship with someone. A giant in your health. Some thing that's created fear and maybe even hopelessness to some degree in your heart. Maybe you're looking around and you see nothing but walls that are keeping you 
fortified walls. The children of Israel, they, the, the spies, they saw the fortified walls of Jericho. What they didn't know is that about 40-some years later, those walls come tumbling down. But maybe you're seeing, all you see right now are just the walls that are restricting you and holding you back, keeping you from what God wants you to experience. I don't know your story. Some of you I do. But I, I do know this. I know that the Lord wants you today to leave with more faith, more hope than maybe you've had for a long time. I know the reality of fear. I get it. I know how hard it is to take our eyes off the circumstances. I, I get it. I know that it, the, the problems you face are real, they're legit, they're strong, they're huge. They might be giants, but I know this. No giant is bigger than our God. No giant is bigger than our Lord. No city can withstand him. No wall, no barrier can keep you back from what he wants for you if. Here's our part. If you'll step through the fear barrier and if you'll trust in him. If you'll put your hope and confidence in him. And if you're here today and there's something going on in your life and at any level, as I talked to you, he said, man, that's, I, I, that's a fear that's holding me back. If there's a giant in your life, a wall that's holding you back, I want to pray for you. And again, I'm not going to ask you to come down today. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. But if that's you, and we had many people stand up in the last service, if that's you, and you know that you're facing something that's a fear factor in your life right now, and you want God to help you, would you just stand? Just stand right now. I'm just going to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Good. You're facing a giant, something in your life, a physical thing, a relational thing, a financial thing something going on and you don't know the answer but you know that you need God's intervention right now and you need his help I want to pray that you'll have eyes to see what's unseen the presence of the Lord with you I want to pray that you'll have hope where maybe this you haven't had hope in a long time thank you let me pray father thank you for these men and women many of them Lord uh, they have stood here today because they're desperate for you some of them are standing literally just as an act of faith. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what to do, but they do know that you are a good God, just like we sang earlier, that you're a good, good Father. And they're standing right now desperate for, it, for you. Lord, some of them are without hope, and they've been struggling for a long time. They've lost sleep. Maybe they're numb from fear. Some of them, Lord, are in terror. They are, they, there's anxiety has overwhelmed them. And maybe they've turned to other things to try and calm the fears. And right now, I pray, God, God, the Holy Spirit, would you help them turn to you? And Lord, I'm going to ask you right now, Holy Spirit, where fear has gripped their soul, has gripped their heart, where fear has wrapped its tentacles around their mind and their soul, would you right now begin to cut those things away? Holy Spirit, remove those bondages. Remove those things that are holding them back. And instead, Holy Spirit, would you just wrap your arms around their soul right now? Wrap your arms around their heart right now, Jesus. Do what you do best. Comfort them. Give them that peace that goes beyond understanding that only you can do. Wrap yourself around them right now, Lord. And then, God, the second thing I want to pray, I want to pray that you give them eyes to see. Lord, for some, maybe it's just going to be a little, little glimpse, a little keyhole view of what can be a new reality in you. But God, we need to see. Hope comes as we see the unseen, as we look to you. And would you help them this morning just look beyond that thing that's in their face, beyond that problem, and help them see what you are doing, what you're going to do. Give them just a little glimpse, Lord. Maybe it's just one small piece that will give them hope today that you're going to do this in them and through them because of their hope and faith in you. So comfort those, Lord, who need to be comforted. 
break the power of fear. In Jesus' name right now, I break the power of fear that has for too long crushed these dear friends of mine. God, set them free, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand together. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a minute. I'm gonna pray one more prayer. Father, would you open hearts of those who need to receive you right now? Maybe you're here today and you've not yet given your life to Christ. You've not yet become a Christ follower. And I'm gonna pray a very short and simple prayer. What matters most is that you make this prayer yours. If you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, you're ready to surrender your life to him because he surrendered his life for you on that cross. I'm gonna pray this prayer. Just make this prayer yours. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I get it, I need a savior. Jesus, you died for my sin on that cross. And I am so grateful that right here, right now, I have the opportunity to say yes. You surrendered your life for me, so right now I surrender my life to you. And right here, right now, this Veterans Day, November 11th, 2018, I choose to follow you. I choose to surrender my life to you. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Now, if that's you, in your own way, just say, yep, God, that's my heart. That's my desire. And the Bible says when you believe, when you believe that Jesus died for you and you accept what he did for you on that cross, you believe he lives for you and you surrender your life to him, you believe and you receive that this is your first day as a child of God. This is it. This is the beginning of a brand new life for you. Lord, seal that on the hearts of those making that decision. But for all of us today, help us leave here with more hope in you than we've had in a long time. Less fear and more hope. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.